Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll visit with Mark, talk about current global affairs. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree. It is, well, first of all, Happy New Year. I hope you had a great uh, uh, Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. It is January the 3rd, and on this day in 1777, a stroke of strategic genius, General George Washington managed to evade conflict with General Charles Cornwallis, who had been dispatched to Trenton to bag the fox. Of course, that was what they called George Washington. And won several encounters with the British rear guard as it departed Princeton for Trenton. Uh, deeply concerned by Washington's victory over the British at Trenton on December the 26th, 1776, Cornwallis arrived with his troops in Trenton on the evening of January the 2nd, prepared to overwhelm Washington's 5,000 exhausted, if exuberant, Continentals and militia with his 8,000 redcoats. Washington knew better than to engage such a force, and Cornwallis knew Washington would try to escape overnight, but he was left to guess at what course Washington would take. Cornwallis sent troops to uh, guard the Delaware River, expecting Washington to reverse the route he took for the midnight uh, crossing on December the 25th. Instead, Washington left his campfires burning, muffled the wheels of his army's wagons, and stuck around the side of the British camp. As the Continentals headed north at dawn, they met the straggling British rear guard, which they outnumbered five to one. Forty patriots and 275 British soldiers died during the ensuing Battle of Princeton. After the defeat, the Howe brothers, General William and Admiral Richard, chose to leave most of New Jersey to Washington. Instead of marshalling their significant manpower to retake New Jersey, they concentrated all their forces between New Brunswick and the Atlantic coast. Really a stroke of uh, genius, but again, you can see uh, right now we're celebrating years later the, the uh, hard-fought Constitution and uh, Revolution, the American Revolution. and. Uh, in some ways, it looks like we're taking it for granted. We really shouldn't. It was a hard-fought bat battle. Of course, you know this, but Betty White, who's saucy, up for anything, charm made her a television mainstay for more than 60 years, whether as a man-crazy TV hostess on The Mary Tyler Shore, the loopy housemaid on Golden Girls, she died. She was 99 years of age. It may be apocryphal, but I've heard that uh, she died shortly after getting uh, the Corona's vaccine. And when she asked how she managed to be universally beloved during her decade-spanning career, she summed up with a dimpled smile, I just made it my business to get along with people so I can have fun. It's just that simple. Isn't that a nice message? Just made it my business to get along with people. 
Well, President Joe Biden closed the year by announcing a list of his 2021 accomplishments. Here's the list. Biden first touted vaccine distribution, though the 2020 Biden campaign cast doubts on President Trump's vaccination development program, Operation Warp Speed. Biden named his top success in 2021 as fully vaccinating 71 million Americans. Biden highlighted the fact that in December of 2020, only 1% of Americans have been jabbed. As of the start of the year, just one-third of adults were eager to get vaccinated. Today, 85% of adults have had their first shot, the White House said. Uh, President, uh, secondly, praised his administration for openly opening 99% of the schools, noting assumed office with only 46% of the schools open. Biden's announcement did not include Friday's news that many schools closed their classroom doors early before Christmas break due to the Omicron variant. Nor did it include that the school children and many school districts around the nation are still wearing masks despite Biden's promise in 2020 to shut down the virus. Thirdly, Biden uh, touted his economic success. The average American uh, filing for unemployment over the last four weeks is the lowest level since 1969, he touted. White House document read when POTUS uh, took office, only 18 million were receiving unemployment benefits. Today, only 2 million are. Though Biden cited unemployment numbers as historically low, they're still worse than the pre-pandemic levels in February 2020. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, from December 3rd, the unemployment rate dropped 0.4% in November, and the number of those unemployed fell by 542,000 to 6.9 million. However, they remain above their levels prior to the coronavirus uh, pandemic, and, and the Bureau acknowledged. Biden also failed to acknowledge he signed the American Rescue Plan in March that increased unemployment payments to Americans. The additional money delayed many Americans returning to the labor market, fueling the supply chain crisis and 40-year high inflation. The University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School revealed on Wednesday, American families on average will have to spend $3,500 more in 2021 to sustain their consumption of last year's uh, consumption. $3,500 more. That's a lot of mollies. Biden lastly claimed to have cut child poverty in half due to enhanced child credits tax credits. Because of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan and historic economic recovery, child poverty was cut in half, said Biden. Howard did not note one of his major priorities, extending the tax credit, was nixed by Senator Joe Manchin this week. Biden's failure to extend the credits jeopardizes this sustaining his touted success. Biden's list is really bogus. To put it in context, and of course, we've been through the pandemic, and a lot of it was simply supported by the fact that many thought the pandemic was winding down. More about that later. 2021 is now in the rearview mirror, and it should have been one of the easiest for a new president. When he encountered, entered office, it was a time of international peace and economic recovery. The southern border was secure. With three vaccines in hand, all President Joe Biden had to do was to sit back and follow President Donald Trump's vaccination program and the mask mandates, and let the economy bounce back from a government lockdown-created recession. Just think about it. That's all he had to do. But Biden couldn't leave well enough alone, tempted by the siren song of left-wing historians whispering in his ear that he could be the next FDR. Biden pursued a radical far-left agenda that has the left of uh, the United States weaker, poorer, and much more divided than it ever had been.
On his first day in office, he not only rescinded Trump's highly successful Remain in Mexico policy for the asylum seekers, but he also instituted a 100-day moratorium on all deportations from the interiors of the country. The message for these fundamental changes in immigration law enforcement was heard not just in Central America, but throughout South America and the entire world. The result has been a humanitarian and legal disaster at the border, with more than 2 million migrants arrested illegally trying to cross the southern border in the first 12 months of the, president's, uh, of the Biden presidency. Almost half of them were being released into the country, even some driven directly to their desired destination by the Biden administration. We actually saw a busload of Haitian immigrants getting off a bus uh, right here in Naples, Florida. These open border policies have drawn migrants from all over the world, not just nearby countries. Thousands of Haitians who have successfully resettled in South American countries a decade ago have been tempted by Biden's soft policies to sneak into the U.S. Now, despite uh, lacking any legitimate asylum claim, thousands of these migrants have now been deported back to Haiti, the land they fled long ago, making them victims of Biden's schizophrenic border enforcement policies. Soon after settling the southern border on a path toward uh, lawless chaos, Biden then set the stage for a record inflation, current, currently stealing hard-earned money out of the working people's paychecks every month. This is not some conservative talking point. Former President Barack Obama, his own top economic advisors, including National Economic Advisor Larry Summers uh, and uh, Economic Advisor Chairman Jason Furman and auto bailout czar Steve Ratner, all have identified Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus bill passed in March as a key driver of inflation. Not only did Biden's com completely partisan stimulus bill send hundreds of billions of dollars worth of checks directly to people so they could bid up the price of everything, but it also sent hundreds of billions of dollars to states allegedly to help them balance their budgets. The problem is, most states already had balanced their budgets and didn't need the money. Many just passed the cash on to residents in the form of direct payments or tax cuts. This, again, only drove up demand and prices for goods and services. The unemployment rate may be lower than when Biden took office and wages may appear to have gone up, but after factoring inflation, real wages are actually down since Biden became president. This is thanks to his inflationary spending and COVID lockdown policy. For months, voters seemed to tolerate Biden's border chaos and rising inflation. It wasn't until his undeniably incompetent pullout from Afghanistan that his public approval rating finally tanked. Thanks to the way that which we've managed our withdrawal, no one, no one, U.S. forces or any forces have been lost, Biden bo boasted at the White House press conference July the 8th. He went on to claim that the Taliban takeover of the country was highly unlikely. Oh, how wrong and incompetent he was. Biden's been wrong about Afghanistan, wrong about the border, wrong about inflation, and wrong about just about everything. A whole near year, year approaches and voters will finally have a chance to begin to set things right in November. Can't come soon enough, can it? Well, while conservatives might have suffered through 2021 without former President Donald Trump in the White House, the year did unveil to the America a silver lining. Despite the challenges before him, DeSantis, our own governor, enjoyed a banner year in 2021, continuing his overall overhaul in Florida, making it the nation's model free state. This is not merely political bloviating. 
Here's DeSantis' six major accomplishments in 2021. He, uh, in migration, Florida was the top state in the country for population growth through migration, both foreign and domestic. Census data shows 220,000 folks moved to Florida from other states, Washington, D.C., or Puerto Rico, making it the nation's top destination. Also, he kept uh, Florida free and open while reducing COVID. And I think you know all the story about the masks and the uh, imposing vaccine mandates. None of that happened here in Florida. While, and also, he signed sweeping law to protect voter integrity. So there's so much more that he accomplished. Uh, again, Governor DeSantis, our firewall against the intrusion of big government on our lives. We're so grateful for his leadership and hope he continues here in Florida. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education, and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website vfga.org, uh, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. You've got to check it out. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And uh, I'm messing around with my equipment, so if you have trouble hearing me, just let me know. Uh, but in any event, let's start off with what's happening around the globe. And, uh, of course, Omicron is dominating the news. So what are your thoughts? Well, clearly it's dominating the news, and we're about five weeks in, and we're still pretty much in what, it, what we would call the fog of war, without really knowing what what totally is going on, in the sense that it's quite clear that it's the most contagious thing ever, basically. Um, and we're in a situation, I think, in your state, there's been an increase of 950%. But all over the world, the numbers have, have just increased um, radically in, in, in a matter of two weeks. Um, it's incredibly infectious. It seems to be less deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, it, it's a little bit hard to totally understand the statistics because basically what's going on is um, a th- only a third of the people who would normally be hospitalized are being hospitalized. But the, the question that's really hard to understand here is since it, the breakthrough infections of people who are, who are vaccinated um, are also being infected. It seems anyone who, has been, who has, hasn't been vaccinated in the last three months, based on what's going on in the UK, can get it, but the disease is much lighter of those vaccinated, so it, it's not totally clear how much um, weaker the, the Omicron is in terms of hospitalizations. We'll have to see. Um, and in South Africa, it peaked very quickly and went down very quickly. Mm-hmm. And based on the South African history, everyone is assuming it'll be a very quick wave. So far, it has not peaked in the UK, which is running about a week and a half or two weeks ahead of the United States. Um, And, of course, in the United States, it hasn't nearly begun to peak. So those are unknowns, and we don't know. Um, Here in Israel, there are projections that half the country is going to get it in the next three or four weeks. I don't know. Yeah. so the one statistic that you had mentioned that it appears that people who have had the jab, who've had the vaccinations, uh, seem to not get as severe symptoms. How do we know that? Well, it's very simple. Um, there are very clear studies now that have, been, that have come in both, um, leaving aside Omicron, but even, even with Omicron, there are very clear statistics of who's getting sick. And certainly in the U.K. they can do that because the U.K. is universal Healthcare, so you have a, you know who's gotten sick, obviously, mm-hmm. and you know who's in the hospital. So it's much better than the United States, where it's much harder to get the statistics. So we have very clear, very clear numbers that show that um, the chances of being hospitalized, um, if you've gotten the jab, or at least you haven't gotten the jab, put it the other way, are four to five times higher than if you've gotten the jab. Uh, so that's a clear statistic at this point, and it's easy to it's easy to follow. Um, They've been seeing that here in Israel, not so much with Omicron because it's relatively new, but of course with Delta that was overwhelming the case. Um, and it, it seems very clear that all the statistics are showing that 
you are, if you've gotten vaccinated, you still can get the disease, but the odds are very, very high in your favor that you're not going to get hospitalized, you're not going to get critical, and obviously you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what my, almost all the statistics have been showing. It was with the expectation also, by the way, that the longer-term um, immunity was not so much immunity from getting the, vac- getting the disease, but immunity from getting severe cases of disease. And that seems to be holding off pretty pretty much all over the world where there's been statistics. Yeah. Also, even in South Africa, which which had a certain a reasonably high percentage of people vaccinated, that also held. You know, I just don't so, know, Mark. It's, it seems to me uh, the symptoms right now are, are being reported as like the common cold. Apparently, South Africa called off any kind of strenuous or uh, severe uh, lockdowns or concerns after about a couple of weeks of, uh, the, of this uh, mild strain. And, uh, you know, why, why would you get vaccinated? Or why would you mask up or any of these uh, things over a common cold? Because not the common cold. I'm sorry. I know lots of people who have it right now, and it's like a very bad flu. Mm-hmm. Except it's a very bad flu that's simultaneously hitting, you know, ten times the number of people that the flu was hitting. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. It's not the common cold. Whatever. You know, people can make the argument it's like the flu. And even that's not true because it's still proven to be much more deadly than the flu. But the flu does not suddenly hit whole families completely. Uh, and I, I know personally in, in New York, at least eight or nine families that have been completely hit by, by it. The whole family is, has, um, has gotten In one case, the only kid who did not get it was a kid who had been vaccinated three weeks ago, so his vaccine was, was fresh. Hmm. But the reality is that, and, you know, the whole family is very sick. They're not going to die. They're not going to go to the hospital. But they're terribly, terribly sick. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen with almost anything else. And then, of course, there are those people who will get hospitalized, and there are those people that will die. Yeah. So I, to talk about this in terms of the common cold is a really big mistake. If you want to argue about the flu, and this is going to turn to the flu, that there's some possibilities that it may turn to the flu, but is isn't at the moment because it's so much more contagious than the flu. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting to me. I, just watching uh, football this weekend, watch the college football as well as the professional. People weren't masked up. They're congregating. They're in stadiums and so forth. So. Uh, perhaps some of the fear is dissipating uh, that's driving the whole notion of, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic of fear of people masking up and uh, I, uh, the toleration. The and maybe to- that's not good. Pandemic is real. That, to, to, look, masking, masking is a simple, simple thing. I don't understand people who don't mask. I'm sorry. It makes no sense to me. I don't like wearing a mask. It's not comfortable, but that seems like the minimum thing one could do. I mean, I understand people not wanting to change their lifestyle. I understand people not wanting to not visit friends or family. That all makes sense. But not wearing a mask. So what about the statistic of 40% of people who are, get the, uh, this new variant uh, are asymptomatic? Is this an opportunity, actually, for the, for the population to actually develop herd immunity? No, because unfortunately what's been proven is the fact that um, the immunity presented by the actual disease only gives us gives us six months at most uh, protection, and worse yet, new variants don't care about the previous variant. Mm. So anyone who had Delta can easily get Omicron. And the most frightening thing was something I read this morning that in southern France, new variant has been discovered. The uh, first person to bring it was someone who traveled from Cameroon, 
and it has uh, many many mutations, and it's not quite clear what the implications of all that is. But the mo- the biggest implications of all this is this thing keeps on changing. Yeah, and we have not found the solution to a, cha- a virus that keeps on changing and keeps on wanting to infect us. Well, the, the biggest concern you know? I have is the fact that China is locking down provinces as a result of this coronavirus. Now, I think they know some things we don't, and uh, it, that is concerning. Absolutely. There's no question. Listen, the whole Chinese part and all this is, is a big question. I mean, clearly they have some serious, serious responsibility just on the level of the fact that they did not tell the world. Right. Early on, that this thing existed, the whole world could have turned, could have stopped flights from from China completely at the very very beginning, and maybe it would have gotten out of China, but maybe not. Yeah. You know, they were, they were locking down their own cities, but they were letting people fly out of China. So, you know, leaving aside the whole question, is it from a man? Is it from a lab? Is it from a from a um, animal? We'll leave that part aside right now because we have no way of knowing that, and I can't you know claim one way or the other. But I can claim the fact that the Chinese government has responsibility for the fact that, I don't know if people remember this, they were arresting people who were trying to post information. That doctor, the first doctor who posted the fact that there was a severe respiratory disease, who eventually he eventually died of it, uh, was arrested huh. uh, because he posted about this disease. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the real Chinese responsibility exists. Not so much from you know, the origins, which also might be, but we don't know. But the fact that's unquestioned is the fact that they were locking down their cities and letting people fly out of the country. Well, this flashes, I think, on uh, the CDC as well as Dr. Fauci and others as well. I think there's some sort of collusion. And, uh, I don't think there's any collusion. That's not for the conspiracy, guys. <laughs> the Chinese government is a real problem. There's no conspiracy going on on our side, that's really. I mean, I don't believe in any conspiracy theories. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, and... The problem with conspiracy theories, and the reason they're all not true, is one thing I learned from doing certain things in life, which will remain not discussed, is that the way to keep a secret is to tell the fewest number of people. Yeah. The minute you tell more than one, two, three people, the secret can no longer be kept. Yeah. And the reality is that's why these conspiracies are complete nonsense. All of them. I mean, I'm going across the board because none of these things could have been kept secret. So your your position is that whatever you hear from the CDC should be trusted. Okay, what I my position is that the CDC, like all the rest of us, are making mistakes because we're dealing with a new situation, and the CDC is just made up of human beings who are doing their best to try to react um, to a situation in a in a method that they've been taught. Uh, some ways, I think a bureaucracy is a very difficult tool to fight a pandemic because it moves too slowly. You know, go back to the issue, of not so much the CDC, but the FDA's approval of tests, things of that nature. They move way too slow. But leaving that part aside, I do not believe there is any conspiracy. I don't believe there's any malice involved in the decisions. I think they have made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think if you and I were there, I mean, when we had the training, which neither of us do, we would make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. Even with the best of intentions, people make mistakes in a, in a fast-moving situation that we do not fully understand. And that at any given moment, we have to make a decision based on the information that we have at the moment, and it is not complete, and not from a scientific standpoint, not from completion of information. So, yes, I believe that the CDC's actions, while at points mistaken, were based on no malice, and 
if I have to take my word from anybody, I'll take it from the CDC, because I think they have the greatest experts, and they'll, they're, not, they're fallible, yeah. like every other source of, of decision-making, but they have the expertise, so I go with the CDC. Well, I, for one, would vote against trusting the CDC or any other government agency, for that matter, but especially the CDC. So I think, well, again, we're not going to resolve this, Mark, but I think it's a good discussion. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good discussion for people to... To listen in on. Let's, let's move to other things that are going on around the world, including, uh, for example, in Ukraine, Russia, Biden, Putin, all that, that whole thing over there. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go backwards. Let's put a little historic uh, history into this. I mean, we can go all the way back. But um, look, the Soviet Union came apart. The individual parts of it, some of them became independent countries. Um, there was Eastern Europe. And Eastern Europe um, became obviously, you know, the, the Soviets stopped dominating them. The countries of Eastern Europe, almost all of them, ended up slowly but surely joining NATO. The Russians were invited to join NATO, but they didn't really, didn't want to. Ukraine became independent and had been part of Russia since the 17th century. However, um, the Ukrainian people always considered themselves not Russians and independent from Russia goes back to some of the dark days of World War II when some of the Ukrainians actually sided with the Nazis, but that's a different story altogether. The reality is Ukrainians are not Russians, and they wanted their independence. They gained their independence. Russia got upset when, uh, for quite a while, there was a puppet who was the leader of, uh, leader of Ukraine. There were elections in Ukraine, and one party voted, excuse me, ran on the on the platform of becoming more integrated with the West. Not necessarily NATO, but they wanted to turn to West. They wanted a Western economy. They wanted democracy, et cetera, et cetera. That party won the elections. Uh, the, the ruler who was put away in Moscow refused to leave his seat. Then came what was called the Velvet Revolution in, in Kiev and in Ukraine. They forced the guy out of power, and uh, the, uh, new elections were held. Democratic parties were elected. And Ukraine um, became a real democracy with all the imperfections that go with that. Um, and in addition, they started trying to become more integrated with um, with the Europeans. They wanted to become part of the EU, which the EU was not ready for, but they started receiving aid from the EU and um, and moved in that direction. That's when Putin decided to, after actions in Georgia, he decided to... to Move and um, capture parts of um, parts of Ukraine, uh, both uh, the area um, uh, along the um, Black Sea and also area in the north east of the country, mm -hmm. and created a separatist movement there. And since then, that's been going on um, unchecked. The question is, for Putin, he wants to create chaos wherever he can. And that's clearly the case. The question is, you know, he's, he's moved hundreds, 150,000 troops along the border, threatening to invade, claiming he's going to invade unless he gets his demands met. Um, in the meantime, President Biden um, has issued relatively strong statements that the United States won't stand by. It has not offered to military, militarily intervene. But short of that, it's made it very clear that we'll take every action possible as of the Europeans. So the Biden Russian... met with Putin, I think it was Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, or Friday. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure of that. 
you know, in a virtual summit meeting for two and a half hours. Um, Putin has made these demands, uh, guarantee that that NATO won't move further to the um, move further to the east of his borders, threaten his country, um, things of that nature, um, and guarantee that none of these no additional countries will join NATO, which is against the NATO Charter, by the way. Although there's no particular any sort of immediate chance of anyone joining. Huh. Um, and uh, Biden warned him. And last yesterday he had a discussion with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, uh, basically said, do not worry, we're, we're happy to talk to the Russians, but we're not going to make any sort of agreements with them without your participation. And on top of which, we've made it very clear that we will uh, come down as hard as we possibly can if the uh, Russians intervene. And Vade, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and where we stand now is we don't know what Putin really wants. So, uh, yeah. First of all, Mark, thank you for that very clear and uh, concise uh, uh, summary of what's going on, including the history of that. That was so interesting. But uh, isn't part of uh, Russia's motivation deep water ports in Ukraine? It already has that. It, it does. Took that part that has a deep water port. Okay. So, the, so um, then is there is there anything that's motivating Russia beyond just one uh, power and chaos? No. Well, yes. Um, Putin's vision of reuniting, he has called the breakup of the Soviet Union the greatest disaster of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So he's, he, he would love to bring back the Soviet Union. And Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union when it was, you know, um, during that period of time. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's clearly part of what he's, he's after. Um, look, um, keep two things in mind. The Russian economy is doing terribly. Um, the Russians have had the highest absolute number of dead from um, COVID of any country in the world. They've passed the million number. Mm. Um, it's not the highest per capita. I think Belgium is the highest per capita, but it's a small country. Uh, but in absolute numbers, they have the highest number. Keep something else in mind: the economy of of the Soviet of Soviet Union, excuse me, of Russia is smaller than the economy of Italy. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's it's not China. I mean, yeah. but on the hand, it has nuclear weapons. It has relatively advanced uh, armaments. It's, Putin's put a lot of money back into the army and the armed forces. Uh, so they have a capable uh, military. So where does this go? Putin wants to remain in power. The economy on the ropes with uh, people unhappy about what happened in terms of COVID. Um, who knows? So it's a it, it's a it's a change the scent by uh, rattling the sword internationally kind of kind of thing kind of interesting. Yes, so, very much so. I mean that's a traditional dictator's movement, right? Absolutely. So uh, let's move to Sudan. Interesting things going on there as well. Right. So Sudan, we've had this ups and downs. So you, there had been a revolution in Sudan brought about a democratic government. Uh, the military uh, was unhappy because the military likes. Militaries as countries like that like to rule. They had a sort of counter revolution about, oh, I guess it was about four months ago. Um, but there was so much protest against them, they agreed to have, go back and have a joint, a joint government with the, uh, with the civilians. Um, but people have continued to demonstrate against the military government. And as of last night, the prime minister of Sudan, who was a civilian, resigned and claimed this was only a sham. He was only being used as a sham. To cover um, the activities of the gov- of the um, government, and it's not a democracy, and it's no freedom. And I, this happened after I think two demonstrators were killed by the military yesterday. Hmm. 
So we have chaos in Sudan. Yeah. Run by the military. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. What a great way to get the year started uh, talking about what's happening internationally on a global scale. We just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Just remind our listeners to check out HistoryCentral.com, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Maybe a good start of the year for everybody, and everybody stay healthy. Yeah, you as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a refreshing new social networking platform. I hope you'll check it out. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, also the senior, the Humphreys Family Senior Fellow at the uh, uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you, Larry. Same to you. Uh, you had a recent passing, and uh, such an interesting woman. You wrote a story about Ethel May Humphreys of the Humphreys Family, and uh, telling her story was so inspiring. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. 
Ethel May Humphreys was one of a kind and a very close friend, so close, in fact, that uh, I came to call her my Missouri mom because she lived in Joplin, Missouri uh, almost all of her life, and uh, she was like a mom to me. She passed away a week ago today uh, at the age of uh, 94, but uh, uh, just two weeks short, in fact, of her 95th birthday. Uh, she was remarkable for many things, but uh, it's hard for me to imagine when I think of this time span, but she took over the running of her father's roofing company in 1950, and that's three years before I was born, hmm. and, and I'm almost 70, Yeah. so <laughs> it's hard to imagine. And for all of those uh, uh, 70-some years, she was a key player. Either either she ran it or she was chairman of it. Uh, you name it. She was a key figure, inspiring and guiding the company all those years. It's called Tamco, T-A-M-K-O, and it was derived, thanks to her mother, uh, who thought of this, from the first letter of the states where they had hoped to begin selling the, the shingles that they made, Texas, uh, Arkansas, Kansas. Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and that spells out TAMCO, so huh. that's how it got its name. And um, not only was she a very good business manager and grew that business into one of the largest shingle manufacturers in the country, uh, selling everywhere, not just in those original states, but she was also a strong believer in freedom and free markets, and she generously supported organizations like FEE, the one that I'm with, Foundation for Economic Education, served on its board for 12 years. Her husband served on the board for eight years. Uh, and then one of her sons and her daughter both served on the board. So we've had a Humphreys on our board at FEE for a long time. Yeah, just an amazing story. Just back to uh, her taking over the business in the 50s. You just think about that. I'll call it at the time, a quote-unquote man's world, if you will, in the sense oh, yeah. that you just didn't have women uh, having that kind of a position. And uh, she was able to fight through that, well, let's call it a glass barrier that uh, existed, not necessarily because of the position, but because of the attitudes of people uh, in our society at the time. That's right. And she became uh, widely referred to as the matriarch of the roofing industry, and, you know, you're right. She had to uh, sort of uh, make her way as a pioneer, mm -hmm. as a woman, uh, in an industry that was traditionally for men. But she didn't do it in a, a bullying way. Right. She didn't throw her weight around and say, look at me, I'm a woman and I can do anything. She really believed she could do anything she wanted to, but she just sort of did it and didn't talk about it and didn't make it a big issue. And uh, she was gracious and friendly to everybody, and she didn't wear it on her sleeve that she was uh, a very unusual person as a female in a male-dominated industry. Yeah, well, I would say this, that uh, she must have had tremendous personal power as opposed to position power. She was able to garner the respect and trust of the people she dealt with, and that led to her continued success of the family business, because uh, you don't do that just because you're the president or the owner. Uh, customers can go away. That's right. And another reason a lot of people like myself really loved her is that she understood the importance of personal character, and she was just such a 
wonderful example of it in everything that she did. Uh, she was elegant. She was gracious. She was friendly. She was generous, thoughtful, uh, treated everybody the same. Uh, you know, just uh, I, I just can't say enough good things about her. And, and for that reason, she will be deeply missed for a, a very long time. Yeah, and uh, obviously it's, this has affected you personally, but it's also uh, she made tremendous contributions to making the foundation for economic education. Uh, she, she and her family had tremendous impact on the organization. Yeah, uh, for many years, uh, going way back to the early 60s, I think, uh, the Humphreys family have been generous supporters of FEE as well as members of its board of trustees. And um, just very generous. And so in a very personal way, I'm grateful to her because not only had we become very good friends over the last uh, 30 plus years, but also um, I carry the title of Humphreys Family Senior Fellow at FEE. When I retired from the president position in May of 2019, um, that didn't mean I was headed to the rocker. A rocking chair. I wanted to uh, remain active, and Ethel May's generous gift has made it possible for me to speak and to write and to be as active as I ever was uh, in a new role at FEE as President Emeritus, yeah. kind of retired retired president. Yeah, and you know, Larry, just just one opportunity then to underscore what you've already mentioned, but the fact of how important uh, building character and having good character is to the foundation for economic education and the message that you're passing on to young people. Yes. Uh, building character is so important to fee because, you know, people think of us if, if they know us at all as a, uh, an outfit that speaks on behalf of individual liberty, free markets, and private property. And we do. Uh, that economic focus is very central to what we do. But at the same time, we also point out to people that without personal character, none of those other things, other things will be possible. Right. That uh, liberty requires that we live to high standards of character, of honesty and humility and responsibility and courage and uh, grateful, uh, gratitude and gratefulness. There are a lot of elements of personal character that we think are indispensable uh, to a society that lives uh, in freedom. Yeah. I'm going to just encourage our listeners to visit the website fee.org, F-E-E.org, Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org is the website. And again, if you have a young person in your life, age in high school or college age, definitely introduce them to the organization. It will change their lives for the better. I will just encourage you to do that. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. All right. Thank you as well. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. 
Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website and get tickets, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's the former uh, Barron's chief, or uh, Washington bureau chief for, uh, for a Barron's magazine. He's also the author of uh, several books. His latest two are great murder mysteries. They're called... Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You know, I'm, I relocated from inside the Beltway to uh, Pennsylvania, and today the Beltway is getting 10 inches of snow. Uh. And up here, up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we're not getting anything. So um, uh, go figure that out. The environment is a crazy place, and it has me thinking about the environment uh, the older I get and the wiser I get, the more confused I get. Hmm. And the reason is when I look at the whole issue of uh, global warming and, and you know, the, the, the Biden administration's push to, to shove EV electric vehicles down our throats, um, I think we need some mansplaining because when you pick up a, a newspaper and read about this stuff, uh, it's kind of like reading about COVID. There are so many conflicting views. Uh, we don't really have a, a clear grasp. The average person doesn't have a, a clear source for disinterested data. And so it's really hard to form an intelligent opinion about this uh, potentially very important issue. So, uh, so let me give you an example you know, uh, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world mm -hmm. because he's produced the Tesla, an innovative electronic uh, electric vehicle. Um, people think it's a game changer, and yet, oh, and you pick up the papers today, and it talks about they sold 
330,000 cars worldwide in a quarter, which is a record for them. Uh, but when you compare it to overall sales of, of other manufacturers, it's piddling, number one. And number two, when you look at other EV sales from other car companies, uh, they're minuscule. It, it, a lot of people think that Tesla is a fad. You know, people like to uh, identify with a winner. Since mm-hmm. Elon Musk is the richest man in the world, why not identify with Elon Musk? So you have people with a lot of money buying Tesla's. Well, I'll say uh, this too: the Tesla. I've I've been in one. I I don't own one, but they are peppy. They're fun to drive. They're fun to be in. So he's made a good product. There's there's no question about that. But the inconvenience of having to fuel the thing up, and uh, I, it could be a passing fad, quite frankly, because what what's happened to the energy sector is just appalling. What it's done to consumers across the United States. As, you know, we were energy independent at one point, and a couple of decisions by this president has turned us right on our ear, turned things upside down, and the consequence is we're paying, what, about 33% more for gas, for, for uh, fuel, for energy, and it's not only affecting the pump, but also, uh, you know, heating and uh, electricity and so forth. And it's for what reason? It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, having relocated beyond the Beltway, I come into contact, I lived in a very wealthy area, sort of like a Naples, Florida type area in D.C. So all my neighbors were, were either millionaires or close to millionaires. Uh, you know, in Lancaster County, I interact with a lot of uh, blue-collar people who are making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. And constantly I hear complaints about inflation, especially inflation at the pump, mm-hmm. because they have to compute, uh, commute to work. And it's a hidden tax. And I think their complaint is uh, really also complaining about the too rapid adaption of, a, of a EVs. <coughs> Excuse me, the Biden trying to shove EV technology, the existing EV technology down our throat. Um, the, the average guy can't afford it. You know, uh, people like you and me could buy a second car, an electric car, as a puddle jumper to go around town. And as you say, I've, I've driven in, in a Tesla, and it was faster than my Corvette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an amazing car. Um, uh, the downside is um, uh, you may have read the story recently about a guy in uh, Scandinavia who blew up his Tesla. <laughs> he bought one used. <laughs> he, he, he bought one used. And the batteries... Uh, started to, to uh, die on him, and he found out that it would cost something like $25,000 to replace the batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw that. Yeah. It just as a matter of protest, you just blew the thing up. It's just unbelievable. Well, yeah, so, it, so the green in investing, it's really a rich man's game. And, and I, for a poster shout, I'll use Al Gore. You know, Al Gore, he started uh, really the, the focus of the left on global warming. And I'm not denying that global warming exists. But anyway, he wrote uh, Earth in the Balance, or he produced Earth in the Balance, a movie. He won a Nobel Prize. He won an Oscar. He left office in 2001, 21 years ago, with a net worth of $2 million. His net worth today, because of his green investing, is over $330 million, uh, best I can gather from public uh, data. 
Yeah, so, is, uh, Jim, and it's, it is appalling. I mean, in fact, the matter is, he's the guy that we ended up with eth ethanol. We ended up with uh, corn in our gasoline. And uh, he, the reason he did that, he confessed, is that he wanted to get votes in Iowa. <laughs> it's got no benefit whatsoever to, uh, to uh, actually, it's, it's destructive to uh, machinery, in, in fact, to burn ethanol. But th that aside, uh, this whole thing, is, if you just take a look at what's happening in the Democrat Party, they claim to be wanting to help the little guy, but what they do is they pander to special interests, things like green energy interests. All right. I'm looking at it. I dug up a, a story from 2012 that appeared in the Washington Post, and it says, uh, here, here's a paragraph, 14 green tech firms in which Al Gore invested, received, or directly benefited from more than $2.5 in loans, grants, and tax breaks, part of President Obama's historic push to see U.S. renewable uh, energy industry with public money. So, uh, and, and remember, Gore invested in, a, in an EV company called the Fisker, uh, which got a $500 million loan from the U.S. government and promptly went bankrupt. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I don't want to pick on Al Gore alone because there are other moneyed interests, but the reason we need explaining is when, when we're reading in the newspaper about uh, the government, you know, like the Biden administration taking these steps to uh, implement electric vehicles across the United States, uh, we really have to know uh, who's on the receiving end of the government largesse for this. Yeah. Uh, you know, who's benefiting financially at the taxpayer's expense? Yeah, it's kind of interesting too. Uh, the uh, Elon Musk is uh, now uh, not condoning government largesse when it comes to investments and so forth, and, and investing in uh, private industry. But he he himself has received billions <laughs> in order of subsidies in order to fund his his business. So it's it's kind of interesting in that front too. Yeah, when I was at Barron's, uh, T. Boone Pickens, the, the, uh, who, who made a fortune in oil, right. uh, wanted the government to, to finance his uh, effort to build hydrogen stations for trucks from, from uh, one end of the country to the other. And uh, I call it capitalism, C-A-P, capitalism, like named after the U.S. Capitol, because here's, here are billionaires uh, asking for the government to invest in their pipe dreams. Yeah, you know he was laughed off the stage for you know how dare a billionaire. But you uh, know what? That was a better that was a better idea than the ones that we have with windmills and sunbeams. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is. But the, but the point the point being, um, capitalism should determine our energy future, and I, I think you know we can all agree you know. Uh, that we should head in a certain direction. There's nothing wrong with uh, reducing pollution. You know, we only have one Earth. Uh, let's take the best care of it we can, and let's not play the blame game. Uh, you know, I think global warming is a fact. How we got there, who knows? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, on paper, uh, a replacement for the internal combustion engine with less parts uh, makes sense. Well, for a consumer, on paper. I'll, I'll just end the, I'll end the discussion on this note that it could be that within 25,000 years we'll have a sheet of ice six 
miles thick over our heads because of the, of the next ice age. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Again, Jim McTagg, uh, Barons, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Shake the Money Tree, and the one preceding it was uh, Follow the Leader. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Boo Mortensen will be with us. We'll visit with Seat Motley. And Linda Harden, author of uh, Greetings from Paradise, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>